0: What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Modern Day Sniper podcast. Uh, You got Phil here and I've got a special guest with us for this podcast. Um, If you guys are tuning in for the first time, this podcast is meant for the modern day rifleman, the modern day sniper that is looking for relevant information in the game of long range shooting. Um, You know, typically we discuss, you know, current events and you know, what it, what it really means to be a rifleman. Uh, we talk about the mindfulness aspect of l- long-range shooting, uh, understanding, you know, putting mindfulness behind the rifle, that ego is the enemy, and the only way for us to get better as uh, shooters and riflemen is to uh, learn and share our experiences. So that's what we do on our podcast. And uh, if you guys obviously are um, regular listeners, welcome back. But, yeah, uh, I've got a special uh, guest here, my good friend Peter Knipe um not kneecap for those that uh know who peter is uh so you know peter and i we met what uh three years ago yeah, I think so, yeah no. when uh when i came out to uh take over the position for gunworks uh over scott i think we met at his match um yeah he was we were actually prepping for it. he was kind of cody shooting complex yep. yep yep um but you know we've uh out of great last few years, been kind of busy the last uh, few months. You know, I haven't really uh, been able to hang out, but that's just life, right? Uh, doesn't mean that we're not any less friends. Um, no, I, uh, I, I admire Pete. Uh, he is, for me at least, you know, that uh, that hunter that got into precision rifle shooting to just better his craft. And obviously, because it's fun at shooting, I'll let him introduce himself, and we'll talk about, Peter, why you got into long-range shooting. <laughs>
1: I think for me it was a,
0: it was a crime of opportunity. You
1: know, I was about five years ago now. We um, just it re- really started grabbing hold. You, know, you saw a lot of guys. It got it got really trendy, and um, but I enjoyed the the technical aspect to it. It really fits the type of work that I do and just everything I've done. A, um, I like I like the numbers. I like the. I like the the precision that goes into. It. I mean, you, you think it's about something that's about as big as the tip of a pencil, being able to put that on a target a mile away using math. It kind of, it really appealed to my my personality. So, I, I started researching. I, I was probably like a lot of guys. I mean, I I leered in the background for a months or maybe even a year, like just trying to read everything I could get my hands on and learn. And then I finally actually ended up. Uh, Adding it up in a Ruger RPR, as a lot nice. of guys did, and I spent my first year shooting that, and uh, in two forty three, and what time frame was this? Uh, this would have been seventeen. Okay, seventeen. Um, shot some comp competition dynamics matches because um, they a lot of those matches were pretty local to us here, so that was about all that was going on at the time. Um, ended up driving to Utah, did some of their. Um, club level PRS stuff, and uh, really kind of just fell into the rabbit hole. I mean, it it yeah it's been a it's been a ride ever since. You know, yeah. and now, now there's a whole cabinet full of guns and <coughs> actions and bar- burnt out barrels, and you know, <laughs> just the the learning curve is incredibly steep
0: yeah no I, um and you used to be a guide back in the day like in your previous life yeah yeah back in the day
1: <laughs> we've had this discussion a couple times so you're not, i
0: i enjoy these conversations you're um. not old enough to use the term back in the day
1: <laughs> but uh, yeah i did i spent about 15 years uh guiding um it's seasonal of course but um guiding elk and deer hunters here locally and and uh it was a, it's a Pretty incredible experience. A lot of backcountry horseback type hunts, and and uh, you know, eventually I had to grow up and get a get a real job. But yeah. I couldn't, I can tell you, I couldn't afford to do this if I was still ga- on guides' <laughs> wages. Um, but it was it was a learning experience. And I yeah. I was talking to you know Tom Buller um, yesterday, yeah. and we were out there looking at looking at some places to place targets and for the match in June. And it, we kind of made the comment you know if we had known what we know now about ballistics and long-range shooting there's never a hundred we wouldn't have filled <laughs> you know how many elk I lot watch just walk away at 450 yards and that's the you know in this game now it's a chip shot you would't even consider not taking that shot yeah but it was out of our capability we didn't have the the knowledge or the or the equipment to make a, a yeah. shot like that and make it you know a very high percentage
0: shot yeah um, so, I would say, especially the availability of information, not only you know obviously equipment, I think the equipment's kind of been around there, right, but I think just the information uh yeah. the red avail uh the ready available information that you have to kind of dispel all the rumors and stuff like that right. about long range shooting yeah, you look at just what we're k- cap- I mean you can you can literally take
1: your granddad's um 30 odd six model 70 with a three to nine Weaver duplex on it, and with the technology we have now, you can make that a six, eight hundred yard gun, yeah, if you understand how it works. Yeah, yep. but we didn't have that 15 yeah. years ago, you yeah. know. We just it was like if 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 a hunter who was a shooter showed up, we were like, Oh god, this is gonna be a train wreck, you know. Homeboy thinks he's Carlos Hathcock. you know, because <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know what we didn't know. You know, and we dragged this guy up on the mountain, and he may have been fully capable, but we didn't know how to implement him. Yeah, we had no idea what those capabilities were. You know, he may have been perfectly capable of making that six eight hundred yard shot on an elk, but we didn't know enough about it to trust that that was that was a possibility. Yeah, you know, it was three hundred yards <laughs> and in, or it didn't happen. That's crazy.
0: Yeah. Uh, one one thing I did enjoy, what I've enjoyed, is you know, obviously our our talks after practice and stuff like that, especially after a long day at you know work when I was at Gunworks. And, uh, dealing with those hunters you know and <laughs> I think that's why we were able to relate because you saw you know on your side is from a guide and then I saw my side from you know an instructor of teaching guys that I they didn't really I guess knew what they were getting themselves into you know because yeah it's all fun and games on a, on a flat range but as you see you know when when that uh, hunt of a lifetime and or that elk of a lifetime walks you know two three hundred yards out it's like okay what do you do now you right. know what I mean and um, you saw that end of it where you know i can only see the flat right the flat range and no stress type i can only do the best i can to prepare these guys to, to you know for whatever they might find in the field right
1: yeah and, and you're right i mean the whole time the time factor and the stress and the you know the a lot of putting guys in situations they've never been in like like you said it's a hunt of a lifetime so you stick them on a horseback hunt 35 miles from any improved road <laughs> And not only are they not horse people, but they're not riflemen. And and the out walks, an elk, you know, potentially the best elk they're ever going to see in their lifetime. And you're dra- physically dragging this guy off a horse, shucking his rifle, stuffing him in a hole, and say, shoot that thing right now. And, you know, so if he wasn't stressed just by seeing the animal, you know, your reaction as a guy would probably amped him up a little bit more.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. One of my favorite questions I love asking you around hunting season is, is if you've applied for tags. <laughs> and I think the conversation or the, the expression you made was that like last year or two years ago was like, I think I've done enough hunting in my lifetime that I'm good for a few years. Yeah, I, 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 my killing days are over. You know, it's uh, anybody that tells you that it's that
1: they're hunting because it's cheaper is completely full of shit. <laughs> we can sink years worth of income into this hobby yeah and yeah. and you, i mean you now, don't get me wrong the experience is awesome and i wouldn't have traded it for the world but yeah I, I've, I've killed enough stuff <laughs> that's awesome
0: no it's always good to uh uh hear that side you know and because um, a lot of times these guys are listening to calen and i obviously we've got over 12 13 years of experience you know shooting long range and mm-hmm. and, and whatnot but it always intrigues me to you know talk to shooters that just got into it, you know, because they love the craft, you know, and they love the learning, they love the numbers. Um, and not only do they love it, but they're continually, uh, you know, um, going back to the books or finding some kind of source of education to just be better. And, and not only that, you are, I would say, a big pioneer up here in Cody, Wyoming, with trying to grow uh, the long-range shooting discipline, especially for the hunters out here, uh, which is pretty much what we're going to talk about today in our podcast. Um with uh, the, you say the the birth of the uh, Western Precision Rifle Club. Yeah, or that? club or league, league. or league. Yeah, the Western
1: Precision Rifle is the name it'll run under. Okay,
0: yeah, so Western Precision Rifle, not really club. It is Western Precision Rifle. That's my bad. No, that's um, fine. so let's talk about that real quick. So what what is the Western Precision Rifle?
1: Um, basically, it's kind of been an ongoing idea we've had for several years. We've kind of been. I don't want to. I don't want to use the term abandoned, but geographically we are we are like we're in the sticks. Um, so the access to some of the some of the sanctioned matches for the other organizations that are out there is, is limited for guys. Um, and the other thing we wanted to do is kind of pull, change the focus a little bit. I mean, everybody wants to everybody wants to be competitive and they want to they want to beat the guy next to them. Um, but I go back to this over and over again that, you know, if if you, the number of guys, who would continue to show up week after week or month after month, if it was an individual match, literally an individual match where you didn't interact with the rest of the shooter body, if if they would show and that social aspect was taken out of it, um, I think it would fall off pretty quickly. Um, so we're trying to, you know, pull back and and build it as a community rather than as a competition and. We added, a, we added a, I hate the word charity, but a, a, a benefit component to the league so that, because not everyone is going to win ever, right? They may, um, they're going to continue to improve, and they and we want them to, we want everybody to keep showing up. But if, if the guys, if everyone can feel like their, their participation actually counts for something bigger than just where they placed in a match, I feel like that adds to to uh, the purpose of it. Um, so we added the charity component to it. Um, this year we landed on uh, an organization out of Montana. It's a uh, veterans benefit organization. It's called Big Sky Bravery, um, and the uh, currently the the thought is we will probably um, rotate from year to year. There are a plethora of benefits out there that all need you know whether it's whether it's uh you know displaced kids or disadvantaged kids or veterans benefits or any other there are a lot of different um really reputable and uh and uh, needing causes out there that maybe we can you know so we're taking a small percentage of the match fees on from all the matches and donating that to donating that to this year, be Sky Arabia and Bravery, excuse me, and then uh, some some of the other uh, charities we'll we'll take in. Uh, you know, whether it's by vote or whether we just um, do our own research and find something that's in the most need from year to year, but try to try to give back something out of it too. The other thing that we haven't seen done in years past, and in any other organization, is recognize the the beginner and the mid-level shooters. I mean, those guys, we uh, we average 50 to 60 competitors per event in Cody. And I always tell guys that, you know, you can usually tell there's about three to five guys that show up just about every event and those three to five guys are going to take the three top three to five spots every time. That's the level of shooter they are. There's 50 to 55 other guys that show up too. And if those three to five guys didn't show up, I'd still have a match with 50 to 55 people versus 60. If those 55 to 60 didn't show up, it wouldn't have a match. Period. Yeah. So those those guys are actually who's paying the bills. Yep. They're they're keeping things going. They're they're buying the awards. Their entry money is what is the only reason we can continue to do this because yeah. there is no money in it. Yeah. You know? yeah. So. Um, so what we decided to do was break it up into classes, and I'm kind
0: of moving through your list already. But yeah, yeah. Um, let's, let's 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 hold that uh, thought real quick, because um, there's a there's a couple words I've been writing notes as as Pete's talking here, because we're sitting right in front of each other, and um, the first thing that stood out that was pretty awesome was build. Um, you're building it as a community, not a competition, and I think that's huge, right? That just that statement in itself, uh, because you know. Uh, again because I think we we're such a shooting sport mm-hmm. the ego is immediately tied to it Agreed. right and that yeah exactly what you what
1: you said it in your introduction you know that the ego doesn't teach us anything yeah and
0: to be able to turn turn it into a community I think fosters the learning aspect of that a- absolutely it. and and that is that is awesome um, and then um, you you talked about purpose uh, and you, you're essentially kind of on the same wavelength of obviously is the what Caitlin and I talk about with modern day sniper. You know what I mean? Understanding your purpose and intent of when you connect with that rifle. Like, hey, like, what do you, what do you end up wanting to you know do with it? Yeah, there's competitive aspects. You know, if you want to be a, and we have a lot of competitive shooters that listen to this. I'm a competitive shooter, right? right. As a, um, mm. but um, I think we start to, uh, I mean, I, I, I've seen it where you know hunters or um, you know military law enforcement snipers they refuse to go to a match. Or because it has that name attached to it, a match right? and a competition, and they don't want to get their ass shown. Right? Right. And now they're essentially, in, they, they don't really realize the training opportunity they have for themselves by showing up to one of these things. But right. if you build, a, if you're building a community, right, it's like, that's fucking awesome. And the fact that you're linking it to charity, it reminds me of uh, The Guardian.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, which we talked about right before the podcast. Yeah. And we've actually, that was kind of,
1: Part of the motivation behind it, because it, you know they, I mean, attendance is a big thing, right? And I think part of the reason those guardian matches are always full is because because of the community aspect and the guys. Yeah. Everybody shows up, and I have never heard anybody gripe about how much they paid for that event, what the prize table looked like, anything. They knew they were there for a bigger reason. Yeah. You know. And oh, if,
0: yeah. Yeah. And, and I've been to those matches where that that you just said is is like guys grabbed about the match tree and they were disappointed in the prize table. It's like, really? It's like, I have yet. And and there's probably, I could probably count with my two hands the actual professional-level shooters in the sport that are getting paid, right, to be top-level shooters. Yeah, there aren't that many. Yeah. But now if you look at the roster of competitive shooters, you know, between the National Rifle League, the Precision Rifle Series, and maybe, you know, all the other kind of elite RTC, there's probably a little over 3,000 competitors, Right. right? And 10 of them. Are professional level, truly professional level. They're, shooters. they're doing this for their living. Exactly, Just with paying their house payment. Yep, yep. Yeah. And right. uh, yeah, that too many people kind of get lost in that weed of like trying to get to the top so quickly. Right. It's like, um, but I think I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, you know, I think that the building a community is great, and, and that's exactly like you said, what the Guardian has. They built a community around uh, helping other people, and it is. I mean, I love going to those matches because everyone is super friendly. No one's, you know, no one cares about where they place, right? Um, right. I mean, it, they're trying to beat themselves. Or, exactly. And, and maybe their buddy that they came with or whatever. But, yeah, it's not the
1: focus at yeah. the end of the day.
0: Yeah. Um, and, and it's and it's good to be, you know, I'm not saying it's, it's bad to be competitive by nature. No, um, not but at all. Just because I think it because of the fact that is it is a shooting sport, that amount of ego is what holds a lot of us back from, you know, learning or uh, pursuing education in, in, in this discipline. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if you can
1: remove that a little, I think you entice guys to stay and yep. and progress and, you know, make it a more favorable environment to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, and if we can do something good in the process and then, then, you know, yep. you can, you can go home knowing that you tanked three out of the 10 stages yep. and you had the worst day you ever shot, but you know what, your money went to help some, yeah. so, you know, something bigger than that. So it didn't, it really wasn't about winning at yep. that point. It was about um, improving your skill set, and then also doing something better with your money. Yep. So. Yep. Um,
0: <clears throat> you were going to dive into <clears throat> ABC scoring or ABC classes, which I think is very uh, a, a neat. We talked about this kind of before the podcast, but I think the ABC uh, system is is um, is unique uh, because. That is definitely what's lacking in the big organizations. Actually, before we get into that, yeah. I know we went down the rabbit hole. What I wanted to ask you was uh, why uh, the uh, Western Precision Rifle, in the terms of because of the saturation of uh, big leagues right now, such as the Precision Rifle Series and the National Rifle League, and now the Na- National Rifle League Hunter mm-hmm. Series. Um, uh, you know why? I guess uh, um, would you guys want to try to fight? against or, or uh, compete against those organizations um, there was there was a lot of discussion
1: about this um, you know and, and no one really like had a an aversion to the other uh, big organizations they just didn't feel like they were being heard and there's a couple things going on too um, we, we threw the numbers out there um, we were pretty conservative started adding up what it costs the individual to go to a one- day. Or excuse me, a two-day national-level event. Let's say, let's say eight to ten hours from the house, where you you're going to go down there. You can stay. Probably take a day off of work, drive down there, shoot two days, and a day off of work to come back. So it's a four-day commitment. And you start adding up wages and travel costs and hotels and match fees and ammunition and all the things associated with that. It's pretty easy to drop fifteen hundred bucks. On a weekend and that's probably a low low number is that including your 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 time taking a while off from work yeah and that's at my wage not yours (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah so i mean that that and there's you know that's relative everybody everybody's you know that whether you're burning your vacation on that as opposed to spending a weekend with your family or whatever i mean it's costing you it's
0: it's time yeah yeah
1: um and so and then we turned around and we did the same Mm -hmm. thing For like a one-day match that was let's say four to six hours of the house where you can conceivably get up early go there shoot the day and drive home no hotel still travel costs still match fees ammo and such um and we i mean four to five matches for the same money is what we came up with um and you know that's and then you got sunday left to spend with the kids or whatever whatever trips you trigger, go fishing, go go hunting, if it's in season, um, you know, whatever the case may be. So it really appealed to a broader, um, a broader demographic. You know, there's, there's a limited number of guys who have the, the means and the time to make, you know, multiple, multiple two-day national-level matches all over the country. That's that, that's that weeds out a whole bunch of guys who just don't have the, that time even I mean, let's say they got all the money in the world, but they can't get that time away from their their occupation. Now they can't go. You know, they everybody can squeeze a Saturday out several times a year. So it appealed to us that way. Um, you're gonna have to redirect me again because I'm gonna go back on the weeds. But uh, that was one of the reasons. Um, the other reason that keep kept kept coming up. I mean, I've run half a dozen matches here in Cody, and I attend a bunch of other. I would call them local, you know, within four to six hour, one days in the area. And I listen, and I try to hear what guys are saying and what the types of things they would either like to see or they're just not happy with or whatever. The thing that kept coming up over and over and over again was, you know, 50 guys at a match and 45 of them go unrecognized. They don't feel like they're part of the league. They just feel like they're throwing their money down to, to rent the range. And shoot alongside the five guys that are winning
0: yeah
1: um so by divvying it up into classes guys could feel like they're being competitive (coughs) against other shooters at their level Uh, a b and c (coughs) was the simplest way to do it it we don't we're not taking away production tactical open ladies youth whatever those will still run as they always would always have um because guys are used to seeing those um, but the ABC stuff is the only thing the league is really tracking, so the league is going to pay attention to class. And it doesn't matter what, if you're youth, lady, um, open, what class you shoot in in the in the event, you're going to get classed by how you shoot as compared. So it's a it'll be percentage based, based on how the winner shoots. So if if you know you, you shot the tactical match here in November and we had is so a two two three and three oh eight only for the entire match. And we had everything from 35 mile an hour to zero and back to 35 and back to zero, at least twice during the day. It was just
0: up and down. Yeah, I remember on the barricade, I was holding like, I was trying to hold three and a half mils on top of the five mil wobble that I had because the wind (laughs) was pushing me.
1: (laughs) early so I left that stuff set up the night before yeah that barricade was thrown 50 yards downrange yeah. from the windstorm yeah. that came through and it yeah. bro- broke out the window yeah. inside of the van
0: I mean, it was it was a hell of a yeah. windstorm not yeah. only that you even put up a three moa target for our sorry yeah I storm. did I mean I knew it was
1: going to be a rugged day but with that with that in mind you know so the, let's say um did you win that one I think you did great great Oh, that's right Grant yeah, won it, yeah. yeah um you know the winner probably shot 65 70 it was it was lower than average yeah. but it didn't matter it's all relative to because everyone struggled and suffered yeah. that day so as we score those classes it'll be based on on the winner's score you know the winner still gets 100 points and so on but but we're looking at
0: what percentage you shot of the winner no different than how they do yeah. some of the prs and nrl scoring and because it's in threes to make it easier let's say that i think there was i think there was like 12 shooters right that showed up yeah, let's, just say, so let's just say 12, 12 or 15 right? something like that yeah. so abc how does an abc uh class look like with 12 shooters so we initially
1: looked at breaking it up just evenly so like in three classes if, if you had 12 shooters it'd be four in each class yep. um, we are looking at more of a percentage based system right now it'll still be roughly thirds but we're looking at where how that typically breaks up we've got five years worth of practice score information to look at to see who shot what percentage so we'll we'll find a a, uh, a percentage base, and it's a little less arbitrary in that way. Um, it's not just well you shot fourth place, so you got top shooter yep. or to, top in your class. It's you shot this percentage of the winner. Um, so that's where the line, and it's always the same. So the classes may fluctuate slightly in size, but with some with the data we've got from the last five years, we can we can get that really close. Yeah. Um, so then, and there's really no way to sandbag it at that point. You yeah. can't say, "Well, I'm going to just shoot just high enough to get to top of B class without being the low A shooter," because you have no idea what the winner's shooting. Yeah. If he's having a train wreck of a day, you may end up in fourth place, even though you're a B shooter. Yeah. Um, you know, you still be top B shooter. So
0: there are. All right. So so eight. So out of a twelve, that twelve-person shoot, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Let's say um, shooters 1 through 4 would be in A, right? right? Shooters 5 through 8 would be in B. Right. And then 9 through 12 would be in C. So first place obviously would be the winner of A class. Right. Fifth place would be the winner of B class. Right. And then ninth place would be the winner of C class. Yeah,
1: and that can fluctuate slightly on the percentages, but that's how you would have actually... three class winners at the event versus just the guy who won open or the top lady or the top youth um, whoever that may be yeah you would have three different and then um so the way it would get classified is we'll start the season you'll have to have two score post two scores two two one day events in in the league Mm -hmm. and once you have a score in those events that'll classify you um so let's say you shoot mid-pack and you're a a B-class shooter because of the percentages you shot based on the winner. Now, throughout the season, you practice, you do well, you maybe upgrade your gear, whatever the case may be, and you start shooting better and better. Not only do you win B-class, but you also start shooting percentages that are commensurate with the A-class shooters. If you shoot two
0: of those in a row, you're now an A-class shooter. Okay. So what if you had a shit day? Well, you, yeah. Like what if like I showed up and like I was hungover because we just got done, you know playing spades and I'm four. This know. is this a for
1: instance or an actual.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I I shot, you know, I shot a I shot in B class, right. That but mean, everyone knows that I'm a, I am would be considered an A-class shooter. During your classification period or just any day during the... I guess, um, a, yeah, yeah, any... day. So
1: let's say that you shot two matches at some point in the... At the, the first matches of the season that classified you as an A-shooter. Yeah. And then match three, it just comes off the rails. <laughs> and you shoot like low B-class
0: score. Yeah. Yeah, you're just a really shitty A-class <laughs> shooter right now. <laughs> You don't hey, get, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I because think everybody's th- going to have those days. There's no, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no. You can only go up. Right? You can there's, only go up. There's no now, down. There are. We talked about this actually at length earlier today. But, okay, but what if a like a, a B class shooter or like a, even a C class shooter just has a rock star of a day, right? And then bumps up to A class, but it, it's not it, consistent.
1: Well, but if, right, and that's why it takes two.
0: Okay. Okay. You know, two consecutive.
1: Okay. So he may shoot that high score. He may have be on fire, like the the match after he gets classified as a B class shooter. He has the best day of his life, and he sh- he wins the match. Yeah. But then the next the next time he shoots a match, he's back in his he's sh- back shooting, in his B. Yeah. He's h- shooting a B class score. Well, that didn't bump him up. Okay. He he may have won the match. Yeah. He he would definitely have been the top B class shooter on that day because of the score. Okay. But he didn't he didn't show the consistency that needed to push him to classify him and keep him as an A class. Okay. So, once, they, once you show the consistency, and we're going to start with two, you know, it may evolve over the years, and we may have to show, say, okay, it takes three A class scores in order to get you bumped or whatever. And as numbers increase, you know, you may see a double A class or something to kind of, if that upper class becomes large enough where it becomes necessary to say, okay, now double A shooters are, you know, they're the top 10% of scores, yeah. not the top 30, and then the A class shooters fill in that gap okay uh, so you know there's there's room for it to evolve there's why we haven't done this yet i don't know if you shoot shotgun if you shoot black power black powder if you shoot nra high power across the course um uspsa all of them use this system okay we're the last ones to the game i don't know why yeah. but you know this is our chance to to really take something that's been ringed out thoroughly in all the other shooting sports and just apply it to what we already do yeah yeah um, and that's why some of those shooting sports, there's guys, there's guys that have been C class shotgunners for the last thirty five years, and they're just tickled when they take their take their class. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And that's how you make it sustainable. That's how you keep it from from um, coming off the rails and getting splintered, and yeah. you know, giving giving guys the opportunity to to see the improvement against a fixed object, not just the winner, but a yeah. line,
0: and also move into the next class. Uh, what What's the style of, uh, I guess, um, uh, course of fire look like? Is it like, you're, you know, your typical? And we talked about this also before the podcast started. You know, what are some of the rules? Because, you know, you guys aren't trying to go too official as of yet right now. You know, you because obviously when there's something official with it, people will be like, oh, you got to pay into it, blah, blah, blah. But right. it's like, hey, no, just show up. Right. And whether you you want to or not, uh, the Western Precision Rifle is going to be tracking you are who you are. Right. If you're right? not
1: competing for that class, no worries. I mean, yeah. Your
0: scores there. Yep. It got, you got scored yep. in the match. Yep. Um, but what is what is what is a match? Is it just your typical kind of PRS and NRL mm-hmm. style? Yeah. and does not really change day? the format. I mean, okay. guys, from
1: from everything I've been watching, I mean, obviously there's th- certain things in in matches that guys like you'll hear you'll hear the grumblings. You know, it's like, oh, that was a bullshit stage. You know, I mean, actually. Let's talk about about that real quick.
0: (laughs) I know exactly where you're going. Let's talk about that real quick. What's a bullshit stage? So I I just had a conversation with Kalen because he shot a match yesterday, put him on the spot here. And uh, he had texted me. He said, fucking spinners.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I would disagree with Kalen on that one. I don't know if he doesn't like spinners because he doesn't shoot them well. And I've not seen him, so I don't know if he does or doesn't. But spinners, there's a timing and and, yeah. and maintaining your position. I mean, there's a lot of
0: valid... It's it's uh, timing and patience, for sure. It's timing yeah, and patience. Yeah, you know, you yeah. can't...
1: Anybody... I mean, I've seen you on the bolt. Yeah. I know that you can shoot one in between every time you're supposed to shoot. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: So it is. It's definitely a patience and time management thing. Yep. Um, for me, a bullshit stage... Um, and I've done several of them in Cody, so I use them for two reasons. They're entertaining, you know what I mean. When I put guys at the top of a scissor lift and have them shoot a course of fire, it's not because I think it was going to make them better shooters. Yeah. It's because forty-five other guys get to watch this shit go on and they think it's fun, you know. But there's only one of those stages in the match. I don't yeah. make a match out of that yeah, stuff, yeah. you know. The other one that I that I kind of point out as being a bullshit stage is the uh, the floating platforms. Oh yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it doesn't teach you shit. No. I mean, no. no there's there's no technique no. that makes you effective at that. Yeah. The wind's blowing; you get hosed. Yeah. Um, there's just no. <laughs> it doesn't teach you anything. But guys do enjoy doing that stuff. I mean, it, it's it's fun to throw it in there, and it's inter, it's entertainment value. It's not it's not marksmanship value by yeah. any means. Yeah. So those, I would call them bullshit sages. I think they have a place. I just don't. I think. Oh, I think that they tend to get used sometimes more than they need to be used yeah and they overcomplicate things sometimes like you show up to a match and the match director's like yeah i saw uh, you know eric and ann miller from yep, up and yep. jordan um and and has this um toy story meme that she throws up occasionally it's like you you ship your rifle unassembled to the match director show up it's on the stage you unbox it assemble it no zero target thousand yards one and a half minutes um you shoot at non-dominant side with your weak eye, with your weak eye that, that you see this kind of thing happening yeah, that yeah. and, and it doesn't teach anybody any and it doesn't doesn't even showcase their skill set no it's just i don't, I don't want to say it's luck of the draw but it's yeah. it, it's just very arbitrary yeah so yeah i, I use that stuff sparingly yeah I,
0: the you you run really great matches out here and and uh, all the matches that i've been into in the local areas have been great um, but, uh, I think they're, because you have them, uh, especially with time, you know, accordingly, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for, I think it's a three minute and 30 seconds for youth shooters and then two minutes and 30 seconds for everyone else. Right. Right. Uh, but at West, you know, com- and a lot of people are like, man, two minutes and 30 seconds. That's a lot of time. It's like, well, at West, man, when you've got like a, 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 large target spread or you're, you're battling 15 to 30 mile an hour winds, mm-hmm. that's not enough time sometimes right sometimes um there's another theory behind that
1: um if you give somebody 90 seconds two minutes five minutes on a stage the best marksman is still going to win the match yeah it doesn't i mean they're still going to hit more targets yeah so it goes back to the actually the same thing we were talking about earlier is i want my new and mid-level shooters to have enough success that they want to come back exactly Two and a half minutes is generous for guys that have been doing this for a while. It's really generous. Yep. You know, it's a minute more than some of them are used to. But it's not about you. But it's not about them. That's right. I mean, I mean they've already done the homework and yep. got quicker. Yep. You know, They timed out on every stage they went to when they yep. started, just exactly. like I did and you did. Um, so I, But it, it does no good for a guy to come and to time out after three rounds and not get the chance to fire the rounds and, and, and fail by missing, not yep. fail by timing out. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it gives, and and if you put something so far out of reach that the guys can't even see the light at the end of the tunnel, they're gonna give up.
0: I think sometimes experienced shooters forget that there were new shooters at one point, mm-hmm. right? And, and we, uh, we need those guys. Yeah, we need them. Yeah, I had a Kaylin uh, and I had an interesting conversation with Josh Bandy over at Pig River mm-hmm. um, in Virginia when we were down there in November, and he brought something in definite in good perspective, which talks about. Um, you know, it's the newer shooters and the mid-pack shooters that are <clears throat> uh, that are really the ones um, uh, putting money into the sport, uh, yes. into the industry mm-hmm. of long-range shooting. Um, and I was like, wow, that's that that's actually facts. Like, Those are the guys that are still like pa- paying, upgrading gear, paying MSRP for everything,
1: <laughs> yeah, and not
0: then, getting d- discounted because they're a jersey shooter, not right. getting you know match fees and stuff like that covered. It's like right. they are. Truly coming out of pocket. Well, and they're still accumulating. Yeah, you know, yeah. they're spending. They started
1: out with an RPR, and then they bought a, a custom action and, yep. a, and did some gun. Had some gunsmithing done, the, and they're still investing big dollar yeah. amounts in the sport at that point.
0: Yeah. and and I'll be honest, I'll, I'm guilty of uh, you know structuring my, my the the two matches that I did host. Catering to more of the top level shooters, because <laughs> you know, guys got wrecked at my at my course. But even though they had, you know, they said they had a good time. I I know that they got wrecked because I think the you know I think uh two years ago the winner won at like a like a high seventy percent right where yeah, I mean mid pack shooters probably shooting either. Fifty or low, low sixties. I have
1: to go back and look at my score. It was
0: somewhere around there. <laughs> uh, and and I'm guilty of of not thinking about that newer shooter and that that mid pack shooter. That you know, like I want I I want him to come back, right? right? Um, because the I I think the the people that are pretty you know uh, veterans at the sport, they know they're going to be they know what matches they're going to shoot, you know. Um, they're already committed to it. But I think right. it's it's how to obviously plant the seed with uh with uh, the newer shooters and then get them to come come back and like you still build, build a community here yeah. rather than just keep a those competition guys engaged and keep them yeah keep
1: them giving them a reason to come back yeah um, yeah yeah i i did a lot of you know way back when we started this just I, everything i could get my hands on you know there was a lot of different stuff training facilities um some of the newer matches things were things were just exploding everywhere and i was reading everything i could get my hands on on you know, how how tough should a course of fire be and, you know, oh, guys that I knew that competed in other shooting sports and, you know, percentage-wise, you know, where they wanted to see their winners or their mid-pack guys and so on. And, you know, I've, a lot of that, it's – I've taken that to heart. I, I have the added advantage of being a mid-pack shooter, so I just build a course that I can shoot. <laughs> I know the guys that are better than me won't struggle with it. Yeah. So, you know, I, I just see it from my point of view. As long as I don't get any, don't get any better than I am now, I just you know build a course that I can shoot.
0: You're a pretty good shooter, and I I think uh, <laughs> you know you've uh, you definitely, um, yeah, you're definitely a a threat when you know when it's either a one day match that we're showing up to out in Sheridan or uh, a two day uh, RTC match, you know, team style match. You would bring up Sheridan what's up I re- what, what did you say either I'm going to shoot well today or talk a lot of shit yeah, yeah
1: that, I, got to, I got through two stages on that match and I, I realized that yeah I, I can do one of two things I can, I can shoot well today or I can talk shit and <laughs> you saw my score you can guess which one I picked uh, <laughs> uh, but I had you know I had a blast and so did yeah. a lot of other guys and, yeah, you know yeah. well, someday I'll learn to multitask and I can talk shit and shoot at the same time but yeah. today's
0: not that day um uh, what one thing I did forget to uh, talk about I'm sure these guys are probably wondering is is kind of where these matches uh, are are going to um, uh, like be held like some of the locations and stuff mm-hmm. like that because I think we did talk about there's gonna be about so far you've got 31 uh, matches scheduled and yep. then obviously more to come. Yeah, we have one more venue that hasn't turned in their yearly schedule yet. And I think the first match is uh, second week of February, the 13th in Townsend. Townsend, Montana, yeah. And it's going to go all the way through December. So, I mean, that gives uh, those guys that are listening, you know, about a month now to, you know, start looking at their calendar, especially if you're in, like, the Montana, Wyoming area. Because I think another thing that you guys were going with this is within a reasonable driving distance. Yeah. What was your cutoff?
1: Um, We were four to six hours
0: four to six hours yeah. okay you know i mean that's that's doable six hours is a stretch but some guys will
1: do it i'm personally that's like that's a at the ragged edge it would be if it was a match that i was you know really um enjoyed shooting i would definitely make that effort but, yeah um so yeah four to six hours um we've got i think seven venues right now and 31 matches um so it's it's going to be a big season. I mean, that it's, it's, it kind of exploded. We when we so Casey Ming has actually been working heavily with me on this. Casey's really savvy on on the tech side of things, and he's and he's got a, a ton of experience with management and admin. Um, so I've, I've been deferring to him a lot on on structuring things and decision making. Um, but when we started reaching out to to local level match directors, the response was overwhelming. I cool. mean, they, they were. Like, everybody's head that we talked to was in the same place. Yeah. In fact, you you put me in touch with Sam, um, in the southern part of the state. And it was like having a conversation with one of the match directors in the in the uh, Montana area. I mean, cool. they, they, everybody has seen. Sam's comment was, you know, he he saw a uh, a vacuum, yep. in the, uh, in in our area and in in the industry right now, or yep. in, in the competition side of things, where we've created this vacuum by putting these large two-day national-level matches where they're, they're starting to get financially challenging yep. to create, a, create an event that fits in the space that yeah. guys that can't make those yep. big matches can make yeah. and still enjoy the sport. Yep. Um, so um, we're, I guess we're filling that void, or we're attempting to. Yep. Um, I feel like it, it may grow. I think keeping it at the grassroots level really allows guys to, to um, get some good input, and you can kind of keep your your finger on the pulse of the other competitors that are that you deal with
0: yeah um i, I had this conversation with travis Ashida in a podcast that we did about the nrl hunter um and you know i my thoughts are and i and, and i have this conversation with everyone that that i that i talk to and you know we're, we're obviously talking about shooting stuff over some beers uh but you know i, I always believe that the uh the sport is grown at the local level not the national level um and influence is, is way at the local level because when I go to a national especially you know when I go to a national level match, I don't care you know uh, what the guys at the top are running. Yeah. I already know what they're running and I know what I'm running right? right? Um, what I'm trying to do is obviously just compete at that level to um, obviously you know win or whatever the case might be. but uh, you know obviously being in the industry, obviously I'm biased in in, in obviously it works out if the industry grows then my um my profession grows uh, you know modern day sniper grows right right and th- that's kind of how that works but um i was looking for uh ways to okay grow at the local level um because you know when guys show up and in, because in that's where i started right i never forget where i started i never forget the the, the two the one day six seven hour match that i had to drive an hour away for every every saturday or every third saturday of the month uh and we only had 300 yards available out in california right right um and that's i mean that's where i got my bug and i I think if we can continue to uh put money into that and and support those local match directors to grow their communities you know it's eventually just going to lead obviously trickle into the national level right um but I think so many people, like you said, so many people are just so focused on that national level, right? Yeah, we kind of put the cart before the horse. In yeah, in lot of guard. I mean, yeah. it, there's definitely a
1: need and a space for that, but there's also all these guys who, you know, if you had to, to learn your your match um, skills, you know how you how you compete at a 2 na- in at only two-day national level matches, yeah. which is a lot of what a lot of people did, mm-hmm. you know, myself included at least early on. Yeah. Um, until the until the one day stuff became more prevalent, I mean, can you imagine? You know, well, I've been
0: practicing. I guess I'm going to drop 250 300 bucks and go see if it worked out.
1: Yeah. You know, instead what,
0: of what do you think the cost difference is between a, attending a two day uh, level national level match where you have to like fly to versus a one day local match where you can drive to? If you're flying to it, my God, I
1: mean, I, I would think you. It's a, I think you're talking about the difference between about 300 bucks for a one day with your travel and your ammo and such to like
0: 15, 15 to 2k 2 K. yeah yeah on that's a, that's on yeah. a single two-day event and that's why people are you know are always worried about what the price table holds is yeah. because they're trying to hopefully place well enough to
1: well and you, know, you can't get it back I mean, you get a you get a you get a um, average middle class guy with two or three kids and He's gonna, he tells Mama that, hey, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to drop 2K on this weekend. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, you know. maybe this month we just won't contribute to Junior's college fund. She's going to say a pound sand. Yeah. You know, this ain't happening. Now, you know, and I had a conversation with a couple of match directors in Cheyenne where, like, they've both been to Cody to a number of matches here. And he's like, yeah, you know, I bring the family with. We go hang out in town on Sunday. And then we drive home, you know, They and it's, well, the match fees are, are typically $50 and under um, for most, actually all the venues we currently have on the on the schedule are, are 30 to 50 bucks for one day. So that, that entry fee alone is 10% of what it is yeah. um, at a national level match. Um, and then just the, the um, less, less travel expenses and less hotel expenses and everything. I mean, yeah. It makes it achievable for, because I had this, we were talking about this earlier, how, there are probably some guys out there who can run circles around the top PRS shooter, but financially they can't afford to go compete with him. Yeah, they are that the their level of talent allows them to do that. Their income level doesn't. Yeah, yeah. So now we got now we've got a, a venue for those guys
0: to yeah. to get out there and showcase their talents. You know who uh, that fits the bill, and that, and I don't know his financial status. I'm I'm just just saying like Grant uric yes right and, and, and grant, he, he's not known as a national level shooter <laughs> but i'll tell you he will mop the floor on some competitors yeah. uh, on the uh, mid midwest uh, and the east coast grant will, grant will show up in his you
1: know his greasy work clothes and his work boots yeah and his frumpy goofy hunting hat yeah and he will run away with it. Yeah, and and you were you've been yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> well, so 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 he he
0: he won uh, he won the the Gunworks match that did. that uh, that Scott put on, and it's funny because <laughs> I had like I think it, I think I got fourth. Uh, John Pinch was third, and then second was um, I'm, I'm a blank fart from Montana. Um, shoot. I did too. <laughs> you hadn't to it.
1: said it wasn't Jared uh, Miller, was it? No, no. no. Um, I remember that though, and they and they were actually really. Oh, Carl Ross.
0: Carl Ross, yeah. yeah. So so and, and no one had ever heard of them, right? Because yeah. John Pinch and I, and then obviously other uh, top level shooters were there. And uh, after day one scores came out, because day one we were at Monster Lake, and I know for a fact they never shot Monster Lake, right? Because they just showed up to the match. A lot of people yeah. were like, oh, they're local residents. It's like, guess what? They don't shoot. Monster Lake, unless you were attending a Gomer's class, yeah, exactly. And I know they didn't attend them. And right. uh, I mean, they were they were already leaps and bounds ahead of yeah uh, <laughs> ahead of the competition. That and that's why day two was really a no brainer. It's like, hey, you just kind of held on to your spots, right? Yep. But uh yeah, like we showed up, and Carl Ross and Grant Urich took names, and we're like, man, we've never heard of those guys before, yeah. and. I, I, they, the, I still believe they'll do that to this day. Yeah, I think they can. You yep. know,
1: Carl, Carl's one of those really amazing shooters that just his mind is perfect for this. Yep. You know, and he's a he's an engineering professor. Crazy. You know, he teaches for a living. Does he? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And in fact, some yeah. of, some of my uh, my young competitors from Cody have yeah. at, actually ended up at, with him as really? an engineering instructor later on. In that. Very
0: soft-spoken individuals. Yeah. Very humble. Yeah, too. humble. And Grant's the yeah. same
1: way. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and Grant, I mean. I love shooting the shit with Grant. Yeah, he yeah. is. He's good, yeah. good. Really good dude, and yeah. he's a vet too. But he's yeah. he's just he's super humble. You yeah. would never know that
0: guy could do anything because he's not going to tell you. He's just going to show you. <laughs> no. So I, I he uh, he'll always message me every now and then on on Messenger, and he's like he's like I think I should go practice that ninety degrees of whatever, uh, whatever, the, whatever it is that you're, you're teaching those poor bastards. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, man, come out to practice. And he's like, no, I'm just a big believer of just showing up and winging it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he he's does. like, he's like, he's
0: like, it's just worked out for me. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, it does, man. I can't even, I can't even knock it, dude. That dude's, yeah. that dude's just yeah, he and he up. is fun. He's an all he's a lot of fun to shoot with. I think he won uh the the night match you hosted not this year or not not in 2020 but in 2019 with a second focal plane. No, I shot I shot he it did, with I, I shot it with Ben and uh I remember Ben was giving me a hard time cuz he was like really close to my score, right? And, ben that was uh, best match I ever seen Yeah, Ben's, Ben's shoot. match. Yeah, he was, Ben's. He match, was solid. But yeah, Grant run it with a, a second focal plane Night Force. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, he's he just I think he's got his head in the game all the time. Yeah. You know, he never – because he isn't. Grant's not really – Grant picked the other option. I picked talking shit. Yeah. Grant picked shooting well. <laughs> yeah, shooting well. Because yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. how he is. He's kind of quiet and you never really know what's going on, but he is just, like you said, mopping the floor with yeah. people.
0: That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it is. He's fun to watch. Um, I know we went down the rabbit hole of, uh, of shooters, but, um, you know, one thing I, I still have here that I'm sure these guys are probably wondering are, uh, like – I guess venues and locations, and and I guess you know, when you say Western precision rifle, obviously what comes to mind is Oregon, Washington. Obviously that that probably doesn't come into play, right? Uh, for these guys, so mainly like Montana, Wyoming. Yep, and actually probably the northern half of Wyoming. Um, we got this big
1: void in the middle of the state where really um, there's not no one, shit. no one actually knows what's there. <laughs> I mean, you mean like in
0: Shoshone? Yes, exactly. Right. That's like, exactly what we're talking about. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's the longest, 90 miles on the face of the earth. Holy hell! <laughs> Is everyone
0: has that driven through Wyoming, like from Casper to Cody or Casper to Shoshone, and then you take go ahead north up to uh, Cody. Yeah, yeah, Thermopolis. There ain't jack shit. Like, nope. and There's... and make sure you have gas, and ho- ho- hope that you don't have. A flat tire or something, because it's just one of those areas that you, you wouldn't want to have a flat in.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not It's not really deliverance. It's more like black hole. Yeah. I mean, it just. Heels have eyes. It, yeah, it's it, there's nothing there. And I'm sure some, so we're going to catch some backlash, because there's probably somebody who lives in Shoshone right now that's just appalled. But um, no, it, there's nothing there. So we do. We kind of have a void in the center of the state where there's some there's some stuff that goes on in the southern part of the state, but that's seven seven eight hours away a lot. Yeah, of, yeah. Um, so we're we're northern northern Wyoming, but but all the way from from east to west. I mean Gillette, Sheridan, um, Cody, and then um, push up into Montana, and we've got venues all the way from from uh, Missoula and Ronan area, uh, Helena. Um, Well, Three Forks doesn't have a venue anymore, but uh, Butte, Billings, which is a central part of the state, South Central, and then Jordan, possibly Glasgow. That's one of them we've kind of got on our. They're trying to get something going, so as soon as their board approves something, they get some more events added there. Um, So it kind of runs solid east to west, and then the entire state of Montana and the northern half of Wyoming. Nice, nice. Right now, Um, there's seven venues currently. Yeah. So, and it's just it's kind of that vacuum area, right? Because although the guys in like Butte and that end of the state, it's not too terrible for those guys to go to Washington or yeah. Idaho. Um it's it's doable. It's still not short, but uh for any of these other venues, I mean, to for them to drive to anything that's currently sanctioned, um it's it turns a one-day match into a three-day match. It's yeah. a day there, okay. shoot the match, a day back. So,
0: no, that's good. So if you guys are listening to this and you're in the, kind of like the Montana, northern Cody area, this is definitely a great opportunity for you guys. <clears throat> you know, that's one thing that I that I did see. Like, I know you're hosting your matches from April to um, starting April to about, I think November is when when you host about once every month. Yeah, here in Cody. In Cody. Yep. <laughs> um, one thing that when I look, obviously, online and stuff like that, uh, there's a lot of great clubs at the local level where those guys like i was doing a um i was doing something for modern day sniper where i was trying to track down all the local level matches in the in the national level matches and then like in texas like obviously they have a really big shooting presence down there there's yeah. a match every freaking week and we in, actually in texas visited with with Brennus. Oh, did you? Um, because those guys have
1: kind of got it dialed. Yeah, down. they've got it dialed down really, really well. They really do a great yep. job with their yep. vocal stuff. Yep. And I've, yeah, I've known Prentice for a couple of years. Like I called him a couple of weeks ago. I said, if cool. "We're going to do this. Nice. Tell me what. Tell me where not to fuck up. Cool. Because I know you've been through this. Yeah, that's um, awesome. Yeah. And,
0: and that's 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 that's, a, that's an awesome part of the community. And that and that's you know it goes to show why I love this community, right? Of 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 other match directors being able to call each other up and be like, Hey, you know, mm-hmm. uh, how do I how do I get this done? Yep. And that's something else like that we've kind of committed to doing
1: from the organizational level is we've got tablets yeah um, practice scores kind of becoming the prevalent method of scoring yeah still a few guys around that, that are paper scoring but yep. and sometimes sometimes that's just because they don't have the means yep so at the club level we're gonna we've got extra equipment yep. we're gonna make that available to match directors who don't have that stuff currently in place yep. um, it's actually i mean. The purpose is twofold. We want to help them make their matches successful, but also it simplifies our lives from a from an admin standpoint. Yeah. If they provide us with practice core results, it's way easier for us to use than yeah. if they
0: send us screenshots of paper scorecards or something of that nature. Yeah. So, um, any other rules that these guys probably need to know about? I mean, just show up with the, what you have, right? Absolutely. You know, it's we didn't like, want to exclude. Anybody. Yeah. It's like, man, if you got Grandpa's thirty out six with a, a duplex, you know, non-adjustable, it's like the only way. I can't stress this enough, you know, to people is like, there's no such thing as getting ready for a match. You know, there's no, such thing as I don't think I'll ever be good enough, you know, cause I'm always inviting uh, guys from my community, my cyber community, like, Hey, come out to this one day match. And then the very first thing they say is, you know, Oh, I don't, I don't think I'm ready. I'm just going to show my ass. It's like, Bro, there's no such thing as getting ready for one. You just show up and then yep. you figure out, you know, what you need to work on the next time. But you don't know what you don't know. Right. Yeah. Um, you're not gonna know it unless exactly. you put yourself in the right. And line. then that's where you, you know, you get the bug planted. He's able. That shooter is able to interact with the other shooters in the in the in their squad or whatever, and then figure out, hey, if they want to dive into this, but don't go out and break the bank. You know, drop in ten thousand dollars in a custom built rifle, right? When you're a ten dollar shooter. right until you are a ten thousand dollar shooter right
1: well and and I I lay that try to lay that groundwork at every event when I give my brief and you've you've been to some of them I mean it's a it's a it's a lot of fun but it also it contributes to the to the air of the event yeah uh, yeah to the atmosphere there but I do I I really stress that hey you know if you need to win so bad that you're worried that when you hand your bag to somebody to borrow that it's going to that he's going to gain some points on you, and you might lose a place. Yeah. You're in the wrong event. Yeah, I yeah. want to. You know, I. There's no such thing as not sharing gear. Yeah. Um, you know, use your head when it comes to coaching. Obviously, the guys at the top level know what they're doing, and don't need any help because they've yeah. done this before. But you know, every, there's those there's those other 80 percent of guys that really will benefit from. Hey, I don't know if you're. You know, you see a guy walking around with a woolrich sock full of rocks. Hand him a bag. Yeah. You know, let him know what the benefit is, even if he doesn't own one, so that he has the opportunity to use it without going out and, you know, how many hundreds of dollars a bag, worth of bags have you got in a oh, tub someplace Yeah, that you, oh, maybe this will work. I remember a story about a, about a bag that you swore you would never... Oh, no, I'll never use anything else. Oh, yeah. You've yeah. Been, you know, that was three bags ago. Yeah, it was. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> and we've all done that. Yeah. You know, so, but but it's like a, it's the communal bag box when you show up at, a, at one of our matches, hopefully, where yep. if there's something that you can benefit, I hope somebody offers. I hope you never have to ask. Yeah. Um, yep. And the same goes for whatever else, you know, if it's a tripod or, or you know, anything that could benefit. it's They're all tools. Yeah. And... Uh, you know being able be, the newer and the mid-level guys being able to to get some time experiencing that without dropping the money on it yeah, because it may not
0: benefit their game they may yeah. not even like it yeah you know but at least they get to give it a shot without without spending that money yep that's that's smart yeah the, you know guys I always hit me up it's like hey you know I'm, I'm getting ready for my first match what do you recommend it's like like, In terms of gear, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what do I need? It's like, man, just show up with what you have r- already. Yeah, as long as you have a rifle and uh, uh ballistic data for right. that, that's all you need, and ammo, obviously. Yeah, right. I will guarantee you, people in the squad, once you let them know that you're a new shooter or whatever, they're gonna freaking throw their gear at you. Yeah, and you're gonna you, have to turn somebody exactly. down because there's gonna be more than one offer, right? Right, and then and then you figure out what work, what you like, and what works based off your shooting style, right? right. Um, before I let uh, we, we wrap this up, I did want to talk about um, the Heart Mountain two-day match uh, oh. that you're going to be hosting, I'm sure, because uh, I'm, I'm interested. I know you had a very successful, uh, uh, that's a great venue up there. I brought Sean Utley out there yeah. uh, right before you guys actually hosted it. Um, but I think you were talking about doing a two-day this year. We are. And all the proceeds go to a uh, charity, correct? Correct.
1: It's a Special Operations Warrior Foundation. Okay. and we get we got hooked up with them last year and it was, it was awesome it was a good deal for them yep and, and us both honestly yep. we had the, um the owner of the property that was a personal favorite of his cool that that particular charity oh is it um so that that's why we picked it initially because okay. when i he he didn't um specify that we had to do a charity match up there but because it was kind of an out of the ordinary match and it was not the typical cody match yeah wanted to do something a little different something special with it cool. and it, it it went off it was very well received. How many shooters did you guys have? We had 100. And, I think we 107. Wow! For one day. That's awesome. Yeah, we
0: scored 107 guys. Um, that's a that's an amazing menu up there too, especially because you can see all of Cody. Yeah. Right. Can, it's 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 beautiful. You can see
1: Montana. I mean, yep. you, there's. Depending on where you're standing on that on that particular course, you can see 50, 60 miles in some directions. I mean, if yeah, you if, you, if
0: you guys are listening to this, this this venue and view is is 10 times better than Monster Lake. If you've been to any of my Monster Lake matches, my two matches, uh, Easy Lake Mayhem, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that that uh, venue is gorgeous. So you're this year you're running a two-day match. We are. We looked what, at, what time frame. Uh, it's June 26th and 7th. June. Last 26. weekend in June this
1: year. Um, it's still for the same charity and we actually the, we talked with the landowner in, in doing a two-day we wanted to you know really give guys their money's worth up there and we started looking around the piece of property it's twenty two hundred acres that he uh, that he owns up there and we were looking for areas to expand the course well i found an area on the north end of his property that was like beyond amazing it's i mean for the for the guys that shot the course last year pretty pretty awesome venue this particular portion of the property is is even better yeah but it wasn't accessible it was like I, you know there's a there's not everybody is is at a fitness level that wants to go to a hiking match yeah i'm one of them you know i'm a slob uh, <laughs> but uh so we talked to him about accessibility and like two days later he had a d9 dozer in there and bladed a road into this yeah. area so that we could access it um so we've expanded the course it'll be uh, 18 stages um Roughly two days, roughly 180 to 200 rounds. 200 rounds, okay. Yeah, nice. yeah same same as what guys are kind of used to. Um, so it'll be. Are those
0: are those hard dates? Like non yes, non change. Okay. Yep.
1: The 26th and 7th. That nice. is that is the dates is going to occur. Registration is okay. actually already open. It's on. It's called. It's listed as a Heart Mountain Challenge this year, and it is on practice score. Okay.
0: Heart Mountain Challenge. Okay. Yep. Um. The location for those that are listening in and if you guys are interested in attending this match, um, there's two ways to fly in, especially if you're coming, um, from out of state or from out of Wyoming, uh, you can fly into Cody. Cody is literally 20 minutes South of the, the actual venue, which mm-hmm. is nice. And then, um, and, or cause, cause, uh, flights get pretty expensive in the summertime. Uh, but you're, you're pretty much flying United, uh, there's a, a Yellowstone Regional Airport is what mm-hmm. it's called, and you would fly United to get here. Or if that's a little too expensive, then um, I would highly recommend flying into Billings. That is it is about an hour and a half, two hours. Um, yeah, it, it's about 90, 90 nine, right at 100 mile, yeah. miles north of here. And uh, you would just stay in Cody, which is, again, about 20 minutes away. So those, that's, those were where your two— um, I would say, you know, make it a, make it a weekend with your family. Uh, head out Yellowstone. That's what a lot of my competitors would do when mm-hmm. I was uh, hosting matches at Gunworks, is, you know, they would um, have, uh, you know, the kids go out and, you know, tour Yellowstone because it's about 45 minutes away and make a day out of it while Dad's shooting. Yeah. You know, I think it's pretty cool. Um, so, uh, Mr. Pete, one thing we haven't talked about yet uh, is uh, what you also do on the side for a living. <laughs> Uh, which is uh, create movers because I think this is a great training opportunity or learning opportunity for our listeners because they've been kind of having us talk, but talk about kind of politics, about sports, or western precision rifle, um, maybe some educational content in in uh, how to shoot movers because since you build movers, I'm sure you're <laughs> pretty good at shooting movers. Um, yeah, well, that was the only thing I cleaned, Jared <laughs> <here at> Sheridan. <laughs> Yeah, it took you, like, what, 30 seconds? If, no, it was, like, 23. 23 seconds, yeah. 10 rounds it was, on a mover.
1: Yeah, it was the only thing that I cleaned in the day. Everything mm-hmm. else was was awful. But, no, I do. I've been building them for a few years. Um, it kind of started out as a as a – I wanted to have one available, yeah. and that's it's actually what I do professionally um, is build and design for the company I work for. Okay. Um, so I, I had a lot of the um, – tools at my disposal to be able to, to create the first one, and then the, the designs evolved, evolved. and um, there was a, a big focus on ease of setup and, and transport, because I've been part of helping setup matches a number of places with, um, and there's a bunch of different movers out there, right? And it always ends up being a, a rat pile of crap in the back of a pickup. So I wanted it to be something that was easily transportable because, honestly, they spend more time being transported than they do yep. being
0: used. Yep. Um, so storage and that kind of thing was a big deal. So, so why did you want to build a mover? Were you just sucking ass at movers when you hit the no, matches? No, I loved like... shooting
1: them. Okay. Oh, my God. So the very first team match I did was at Jordan, Montana, and they had one set up. And we whiffed it. Like my partner <laughs> and I, we, we sent— Who are you with? Who are you shooting uh, with? Who was I with? that Your Harold Barrows, okay, um, friend of mine from south of here, and he, uh, he and I, neither one of us had ever shot one before, <laughs> um, and there was this confirmed target, and well, we clipped it, and then we went to the mover, and we were just like, we we didn't have a clue, we didn't, we'd never shot one, and we'd never even been instructed on one. Well, there was two movers on the course that day, and they happened to be the first and the last stage. Well, we shot the last stage, and then the match director comes up to us, he says, "Okay, guys," he says, "Here's what you need to do," and he told us, you know, how to properly how to lead a mover and when, what to do. And, and we immediately went down to the first stage on the match and, and shot the next mover. Oh, nice. And we cleaned it.
0: Dang. It, was a, it was a
1: little, dip, little easier position and target and stuff, but we, you know, and like, Oh yeah, yeah. I, I need this in my life. Um, so we had, we had a lot of fun on, uh, on just learning how to shoot them. And honestly, it's, it's not everyone gets that opportunity, yeah. um, to shoot them on every course. And so, it's actually something we're doing with the league this year. I happen to have a used one here that we've been using for different things, and an extra one. So we're making that available to all the match directors cool. in the league. Nice. Um, we want there's no charge for it. If they can get it transported to their venue, yep. they can have it for the day and use yep. it, and um, kind of you know a way for them to um, put some variety
0: in their event if they haven't had one before. So um, so uh, when I was down in Rifles Only, we were teaching movers for those guys, those Marines down mm-hmm. there. And um, shooting movers in the Marine Corps after actually doing like a movers package for the military uh, towards my later end of the career. Uh, movers is one of those things that um, obviously the only way to get better at shooting movers is by shooting movers. Yep. But um, I feel like uh, the uh, algorithm or the numbers in terms of, like, trying to figure out your uh, speed to movers actually makes your instinctual um, ability to gauge, it almost kind of makes us dumber. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, trying to think about the math behind it. Right. Because, like, if you think about anyone that is, I would say, um, uh not even uh, physically inclined, but like you know, it's pretty decent in sports and stuff like that. Like football, everyone throws a football, right? Right. It's like you know when someone's running down the down the field and it's cutting cutting in. Well, how do you lead that? Right. Right. It's, it's all it's all instinct. Yeah. No, there's no formula for exactly. a quarterback to hit a receiver. Exactly. And so Jacob Bynum like talked about that in class that we were teaching with Marines I was like because you know Kayla and I were ready for you know all these numbers and shit like that <laughs> to, to, to talk about all these formulas for right. these guys like time of flight and, and, and crap like that or using the Kestrel and then you know Jacob hit, it with that, hit us with that and, that, it, and then even I was like kind of dumbfounded I was like damn he's right you know yeah. like thinking about my holds and leads has made me dumber because now that's all I'm focused on. Well, not only that, but you you are incapable of making a decision without it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah.
0: So, um, what I usually teach for movers, and I'm not sure, and, I, and I'm curious to hear what what uh, like when you started shooting movers and kind of teaching yourself because you you've got no formal training, you're all kind of self taught.
1: Yeah. Well, and in of a the sense. Yeah. On the competition. Learning. Yep. Learning on the fly. Yep.
0: Yeah. Um, so we 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 taught. Uh, two types of engagement um, it, you have your tracking and your your uh, ambushing mm-hmm. tracking is where your reticle stays along with the target the whole time you know as you're moving with Wings the target with rifle. Yep. yep and then uh, ambushing is uh, pretty much setting a determined spot to where you would pull the trigger when that target crosses your threshold of the reticle right. um, And then there's that track bush what I call it, it's where you kinda, yeah. you track it and then bump up a little ahead of it. And then ambush it, but you're still technically utilizing the ambush right. engagement technique, yeah. right? Um, versus I think
1: if you're ambushing, you're technically still track bushing it because <laughs> you have to once you engage it, you have to move forward, yeah. and that's yeah. your tracking section yeah. of, your, of your engagement.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what do you what do you usually do? I
1: ambush. You ambush. Yeah. Okay. Um, I can be more, and and that probably some of that has to do with how I calculate a lead. Yeah. You know, I'm using the the math to yeah. do it. So I jump out there, and I find that hole, and then I wait for that target to get to that hole, and I dump it. And reaction time comes into play, too. Because, yep. I mean, it's interesting to listen to guys. I know what the speed of the mover is. I built it, and I started it that morning and set <laughs> yeah. it up. I know what the lead is by the math. Yep. But then you listen to guys talk about their leads all day. And I know who's shooting what a lot of times. And there's no way there's 4 tenths difference in leads between two guys shooting a six millimeter, twenty nine hundred, yes, like no way. Yeah, it's reaction
0: time. Yep, it's uh, your mental lock time. Yeah, right? exactly. Which is which is once you determine that you want to, what your lead is, is then making the actual conscious mm-hmm. effort to press the trigger. Right, right, and that's I think the 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 toughest part about shooting movers is is minimizing your lock time, your individual mental lock time, um, because again, you know we. As as human beings, we we are our brain is receiving seven thousand pieces of information right. at a time, and, and processing. it. Yeah, it. and we can only focus up to about three things. Yep. Um, and obviously, you know, that freaking mover <laughs> moving yeah. back and forth is one of them. Right? And I was, I mean, it, probably the most
1: difficult thing for me is maintaining a decent trigger press. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, I always I tell guys. They said, "Oh, these are so fun to shoot." I say, "Yeah, I'll make a shitty shooter out of you, dude. <laughs> snatching
0: the trigger, by the eighth round." Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, so I, I'll be honest. I uh, I am very guilty of being impatient with movers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, right. Because you can burn like you, you're given like let's say in two minutes and thirty seconds, right? Your typical stages out here, ten yeah, rounds, right? I'll be done in fucking thirty seconds. <laughs> oh, I, and you're not you're not alone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, we just got I'm
1: talking about the the one in Sheridan, but I mean, I run the matches. I can. T- I put the mover stage in a place in a match where I know there's room for guys to pile up because they're going to be done. Everybody's going to shoot that thing in a minute or less. So you're going to you're gonna have ten shooters in a squad, and they're all going to be ten minutes later. They're going to be done with the stage, waiting yeah. on the next yeah. one. And those guys are only three shooters in. Yeah. So you got to yeah. It, it always it never uses the part time. Yeah. You know, and you could literally, with two and a half minutes, yeah. you could literally shoot it going. If you engage it and you make a hit going left or right there's enough time, you can only shoot it left or right. You already know your win and your lead are good. Yep. Why screw the good thing? Yeah. You know, why risk the fact that you actually screwed your lead up, but the wind's helping you, so <laughs> yeah. you, you managed to get the engagement. I... <laughs> great, great question. Oh, go ahead, Go ahead. finish it. Finish. Well, luckiest day of my life, we shot a mover at Q Creek at one of the club level matches we did on there a couple of years ago. And I had it set up to run two and four mile an hour. Okay. So it went two mile an hour left to right and four mile an hour right to left and we had about a 15 to 18 mile an hour crosswind. And as you know, I mean, typically you dial out
0: your best that guess that. was on my wind. question I was going to have. I was going to have is that do you dial out the wind and then and then hold out okay. Yep. Okay.
1: Yeah. So so I dialed out my wind. And uh, and I shot it and I cleaned it. A couple of minutes later Rex <laughs> Rex asked me, "Hey, what was your wind on that?" And I told him. He says, "No way." I said, "Yeah, that's what I did. It's still on my scope. Look, I had I had dialed the wind the wrong direction and swapped my leads and cleaned the target."
0: Is this a big pig at uh, for the E.L.R. match? No, this oh, was at okay. a club level match. Okay. It was a
1: '66 Ipsic okay. at like 410 yards. Yeah. So, I mean, it's
0: only a 12-inch
1: wide target. The, the, the stars aligned. I mean, I couldn't miss that day.
0: Was that your mover at the ELR match in 2018? Yeah, any mover what, that's what, been at that match has Okay, so... Uh, so, even the ones
1: that went down were mine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that was a that was a fun mover. It was like... So, if you've ever been to Scott's ELR match, um, it's he he puts on one hell of a match. It's fun. One of um, the, I think
1: that's the biggest match. We scored 192 shooters yeah, in that match last yeah. year. yeah.
0: But uh, I remember that year before it fucking shit on us, uh, the next day, on uh, day one, um, the mover, he had a big-ass pig out there mm-hmm. <laughs> at like a 1,100 yards. Yeah, 1,130
1: <laughs> yards. But it was huge. It was a four-foot-wide pig, and it's about, <laughs> uh, I suppose it's about 16, 18 inches deep in the middle. Uh,
0: that's I mean, awesome. it was actually
1: not terribly tough to hit. Yeah. But when you look at that thing moving out there on that hillside, you're like, oh, hell no. <laughs> yeah. What kind of f- fucked up shit is this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you guys start engaging it, and then yeah. they start hitting it. Yeah, um, you know that it, was that was fun. It was. It yeah. was. And Scott usually does that. He did it this year again. Did he? Um, they moved venues. Um, I can't remember the name of the ranch they put it on this year, but or this last year. Um, yeah, Q Creek is a is a great venue. No, that's incredible venue. Um, but they had two movers going this nice. year, and they had Scotts, and then they had another one at. Uh, Similar range, they were right at 900 to 1,000 yards with a a, a fairly large plate on it, but it's moving. Um, uh, And this year they had, (laughs) um, they had nearly 70 mile an hour winds at one point. I was, I actually didn't shoot this year. I just helped with the scoring and ROing and such. And I I had a, we had a lot of sun, it was pretty hot out and I was wearing a cowboy hat, a straw cowboy hat and they got vents in the sides. And I had screwed on pretty tight, and I'm up on top of this point, and Brian Litz is up there, and he looks at me, and he looks at the hat, and he says, "How are you keeping that on your head?" Because they're literally holding the it Kestrel says 68 miles an hour, and I gave him some bullshit story about the wind blowing through the vent holes and creating a vacuum <laughs> on the inside of the hat, and it was what—that's what, that's what I was holding. And it took him about four or five seconds of looking at me before he knew I was
0: full For shit. shit yeah. <laughs> that's what's funny is like when you like. Uh, sometimes when you run running run you at a match, it's like you know I'll ask you a question and then you just hit me straight up with sarcasm, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I like I have to process it right because sometimes I, I get pretty airheaded if you haven't noticed. Well, and like, you, sometimes I, it just whizzes. Wait, I know
1: you get really like really focused <laughs> yeah. where humor is the last thing on your yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah, it <laughs> just
0: it just whizzes over my head and then you just kind of like continue to look at me and you're like feel that was a joke, bro. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we've had some good laughs. Holy oh hell! Uh, yeah.
0: The uh, the last thing about a mover that I wanted to uh, talk about is in the case that let's say you do dial out your wind, but wind starts to pick up and and, and slow down and in, in in relation to the target. Uh, for you guys that are listening, um, when wind, wind that is moving against your mover or in the, against the direction of your mover. So if wind is moving uh, against the moving target you need to increase the direction that it's that it's moving yeah you need to increase your lead and then when wind is moving with the target you need to decrease your lead so those are my two little plugs there in terms of uh, educational bits for shooting a mover if you're not dialing it out or even or you do dial it out and wind is still kind of and picking up fluctuating, and sli- yeah, fluctuating, yeah, yeah. 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 So you and want to dial out the most that you can, right? And then just hold for that. And then you're only
1: at that point, you're only compensating for the fluctuation, not yeah. the wind value as a whole.
0: That's right. Yeah. That's right. Because yeah. like if you if you don't dial out, especially if you've got like a six or eight, you know, tenth wind hold, mm-hmm. right? On one direction it's 0.4 and the other direction it's two mils, right? Right. And that's a <laughs> we've all tried that yeah. once. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I, I, I shouldn't say that. There are guys out there that do they it do and are, and are it. effective at it. Yeah, um, it's I suck, can't though. chew gum and walk at the same time. So <laughs> you know, this is not something you want to challenge me with when you say, "Okay, go."
0: <laughs> if, you gotta, do, if you do this, make sure you have your safety glasses on. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> chew gum and walk, or <laughs> yeah. shoot movers without your window. <laughs> chew gum and walk, <laughs>
0: <laughs> or. <laughs> Or, or chew gum and shoot movers yeah exactly
1: <laughs> I saw Tad Anderson um, a couple of years ago it might have been was it a year match in Cody at the complex did we shoot the mover off that step
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: he had a case head separation oh yeah
0: yeah I remember that that's right because you, right.
1: you were making guys get up off their mm-hmm. do a mag change but the mag yeah. was a few yards behind them yeah. so they had to get yeah. up go get the mag come back mm-hmm. and finish in their engagements he had a case head separation his pack was like halfway across the course yeah. under a bench and he hauls out I over remember there, that grabs a brush a, a short, a pistol bro, uh, rod with a brush on it comes back,
0: gets the case out, out and finishes, finishes the, the stage. course fire. Yeah. And he only dropped one. And he only dropped one. Yeah, I think and it was. I think it was the last shot. It he, might was, have been. he was cleaning it, and then he, was yeah, he dropped the last shot. I remember
1: that. Yeah, but he he actually managed to to clear the stoppage in the weapon. Yeah. And get back in the game and finish the course without timing out. That's awesome. Yeah, it was. It was. It was pretty. I think someplace
0: I have it on video. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Cool. So. Well, all right man um is there anything so let's uh let's just real quick uh let these guys know how they can uh f- are you guys pretty active on social media Ish. You know I have been
1: um <laughs> they're being mean to me right now they got me locked down Are I, they really Yeah um <laughs> Did you do did you do something No I think uh, either some something got turned in or yeah. they're just really c- cracking down on it. I I have very little political or
0: opinionated Stuff on my page. No, all of your stuff is pretty humorous. Yeah, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's generally
1: humorous. There's a little bit of spirituality type stuff or whatever, but, um, but yeah, I don't really. I have my opinion, yeah, but yeah, I, that's not yeah. my. That's no, not my not, platform. No,
0: yeah, that's right. So it's
1: not that. I, but like my man, my event page, for Heart Mountain, for that event and my event page for the first for the april match both of those are locked up right now oh really i I can't create interesting um i in fact i can't even comment on group pages dang (laughs) so that's typically where in in years past i have published everything all the information for the events here in cody yeah it's all been through that you know i think that may be starting to go away so with that in mind there will be a website okay um we'll continue to run the facebook page as long as it's viable yep. but we're also running a, a website that has the exact same information in yep. parallel that should be up by the end of the month it'll have the match schedules um contact info for the match directors cool um prices and so is it on. just going to be western precision club western precision rifle oh, sorry western precision rifle i keep yeah and it's actually because it's a, a not-for-profit it'll be a dot org okay um nice and we'll i think i'll be able to once that's active Push it through social media initially cool. to get guys aware of its existence. We're going to do some things with pictures and logos and publications that really get the, the link out there to really get guys active on the website. Yeah. Because, it, I mean, we'll use social media if it's available, but it's becoming a little bit unreliable at this point. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so cool. Um, but that has been traditionally where most guys look. Yeah. We've
0: had way more success there than anything else. Yeah. So. Uh, well, Pete, this has been awesome, uh, talking with you, catching up and, uh, you know, seeing kind of the, the, the birth of this thing. I'm excited to see, and I know it's going to be successful. Uh, you, you run really great matches out here and you, you built a really strong community out here, uh, that I was, um, fortunate to fall into when I, when I came out here. Oh, it's been fun having you play uh, part of it. We, yeah. I mean, it really has. You've, uh, been, you've been, you've added to it. You, uh, for sure. so for those that are listening, um, if you're in the, like Cody, uh, North Wyoming, kind of, uh, South Montana area every Wednesday, uh, Pete, um, or the Cody shooting complex, um, has the gates open for night practices from, I think, uh, I think it's six. Yeah. From six to six. about seven 30 through yep. the winter months. Yeah.
1: Um, we've got some indoor bays yeah. um, we it's, don't shoot and then we, we light the targets yeah. we shoot paper at 100 yards yeah. um this year we are gonna kind of vary a little with with component shortages and stuff we don't run the guys out of parts so we're gonna go every other week we'll do a live fire session cool one week and then we'll do a dry fire session nice. out there as well i've got i've got uh, indoor heated areas we can we'll set up a, an indoor course with props nice. and such and so we'll do a dry fire session um the next week and then back to live fire the following
0: nice so yeah nice. This, this week will be, dry,
1: be our first drive hire yeah
0: um, and in the summer times i mean starting at six you can we can still at least get at least about two two and a half hours with a practice easily because the uh, sun doesn't go down till nine and then mm-hmm. eventually you and i or everyone that's there will grab some beers and stuff like that and yeah. shoot the shit yeah we so do that's a, pretty we typically run out of ammo before we run out of daylight yeah summertime. that's right that's right <laughs> so so cool all right pete um hey guys thanks for listening in um i hope you guys uh got value out of this i hope you guys uh we hope to see you guys there at these matches again you know if if you're listening to this and let's say that you're uh you know one of those uh the hunters that are just looking to you know you don't want to be competitive but you know you want to you know get out there and start shooting because you want you know that it's going to lead to you being a better hunter i highly recommend checking out um uh, what pete and these guys are doing with the west precision rifle uh, I, I plan on shooting some matches that I can, you know, schedule pending. But uh, this is definitely right up my alley, something that's nice and close to home. So i not burning, you know, two days worth of travel just to get there. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. So, um, again, guys, uh, thanks for listening in. And you guys know the drill. Keep your face on the gun.